Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to Wealthion. I'm your host, Eric Chemi. We've had so much user feedback, comments, questions coming into us. Talk more about housing, real estate, homes. Can I buy land? Can I buy properties? How do I make money investing in real estate? Or how do I at least afford a home, right? There's so many layers about where you can be on the real estate front. So I'm pleased to bring in a housing expert here, Corey Hale. Uh, thanks for joining me on the show. And let me, let me get this right. You've got a lot of titles, right? CEO of Culture Banks, Forbes contributor, you, know, you got your social media following, your own channels, your business and culture expert, and you're doing a lot with housing and real estate. Did I get that right? Yes, Eric, you nailed it. Perfect. Awesome. Well, thank you for spending some time with us because here's the thing that I wonder about, right? Incomes have gone up a little bit. Housing Bad. prices have gone up a ton. And when you think of that ratio of the number of years of income you need to buy a house or, you know, like the, the ratio of housing price to income, that's just gone up by a huge factor that I wonder, can anybody with a normal job who's not a multimillionaire actually buy a reasonably nice house? And are we just losing that American dream now? Wow. Well, let's hope, Eric, that we are not losing the American dream. Albeit, it is becoming much, much harder to achieve. And I love that you brought up the fact about the fact that incomes have gone up, but not at the same rate, right? That we've seen inflation go up. And that is part of the problem. It's all about the mortgage interest rates. I will say, I don't want to be all doom and gloom because we are at least off those 20 year highs that we've seen on interest rates right now. They're hovering around 6.9%. So finally falling below that 7%, but it all is up to the Fed and what they're going to do. However, I will say the broader market is predicting at this point, Eric, that we are going to see rates go down. And you know what that's going to do? That's going to spur the market for both buyers and sellers. How much of this do you think is about the rate, though, right? The borrowing rate is one thing. The price of the home itself is the problem, right? Because even if I had all cash, right? Back in the day, people didn't borrow as much, right? They just save up, buy the house. And and now it's like the price, even if you were an all cash buyer, you can't get enough cash to try to buy the house because the price is so high. The price is very high. And I'm going to give you a personal example because I was someone who participated in the market, in the real estate market on both sides as a seller and a buyer last year in 2023 in New York City. And I sold my condo. It was an all cash deal. Insane. Blew my mind that someone had this type of cash just sitting in some account waiting to buy property. And then I decide to move to Texas and I'm buying a house, but I need to finance it. I don't have that type of cash sitting in an account somewhere. And it was difficult. The interest rates were sky high, but I love that you said it's not all about the rate, right? Because you've heard this saying, you know, you're married to your location. You're purely like dating your interest rate and you are dating the interest rate. The whole prices themselves, they're going to go up. And this year alone, the Federal Housing Agency actually expects for home prices to grow by 4%. But if I was to put this into a better perspective, I'd really like to make this tangible. 
for our viewers and really put some numbers around this, Eric, specifically, right? If you look at a home with a 7% interest rate, right, it's going to take around 110000 maybe a little lower, $107,000 to actually buy a new build or an existing home. Now, if that interest rate drops by just 1%, so I'm talking going from 7.1%, everyone, down to 6.1%, you're only going to need anywhere from 99000 to about 103000 That's given the 4% price increase in the overall price of the home to buy something new, a new build, or an existing home. So the interest rate, while it does not make or break whether or not you buy a house, the price of the home, right, that will be the ultimate deciding factor. However, if there's more wiggle room in that interest rate, the amount of house that you're able to afford with doing a modest 5% down, I'm not even saying going all in at a 20% down type of thing, you stand a much better chance this year. There's been an argument. I remember talking to the head of SoFi, the founder of SoFi going back many years, and his point was the government, right, is the biggest predatory lender. And obviously his thing was in, in student loans, but it's similarly with mortgages is that the idea that they encourage, they subsidize loans, they they make it that this is a borrowing culture and everyone's stuck in debt, right? Whether, whether it's housing, education, same idea, right? The government is that backstop. So we borrow more than we should and, yeah. and prices are higher than they should be, both in housing and in education, right? Anything the government subsidizes, the prices go way too high because we borrow too much. It's not a real market-driven capitalism system. There have these weird skewed incentives do you agree with that? Do you think it's, if the government actually just got out of it, be like, you know what? We're not going to push the price of these homes up. Just do whatever you want. Could actually bring prices back down to some reality levels. I'm not necessarily sure that that's going to bring the market stability that people would necessarily hope for if the government, which of course they do hold the majority of mortgage loans across the country. We're talking, you know, Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, these big government entities that are backing and really I would say, propelling a lot of the real estate market across the country. If they were to leave the market, right, and let's just say all capitalism just goes or the way that we think in our minds it's going to work out, that's not necessarily the case because there is some type of stability that the government also brings to the market. Now, in terms of overborrowing versus like what you actually need, I mean, that's part of the American way, so to speak, or the American dream that you referenced earlier. It's, oh, one day I'm going to have a nice house. Well, most of those nice homes, they just don't cost $100,000. Here, you and I both know that it doesn't matter where you live in the country. The median home price for a home as of November of last year was hovering around $380,000. That's a lot of money for a house. Everyone's for the, not for the average house in the average place in the average part of America. You're talking four hundred thousand dollars. That's a mind-boggling yes. number for the fiftieth percentile home. Yes, you're exactly right. And I didn't even mention out west, California, Oregon, the state of Washington. That's starting at around six hundred thousand. And I'm not talking, you know, a beautiful mini mansion, a brand new, all sparkly. I'm talking just a home you know, something with a roof over your head. These are very big numbers for people to try to swallow, for them to wrap their minds around, and they should be. It's almost a bit absurd. Who has this type of cash? It's just that the market is not necessarily going to retract back what we saw during the great 
recession in 2007, 2008, when we saw that housing bubble, we're not going to see home prices plummet in that way. There is going to need to be some type of workaround, but I just don't see the home prices falling significantly by any stretch of the imagination, not just this year, I would say in the next five years. What do you think about, as you mentioned home prices, what do you think about the idea that inflation actually you want to buy a bunch of real estate, right? Because if inflation continues to be a problem, as we, you know, so many of our guests talk about the massive national debt, the deficit, all of these things that they're going to have to inflate their way out of, right? To be able to pay it back. Do you want to just go and buy as much real estate as you can because it's nominal pricing, right? And, and, and that's real assets. Inflation maybe helps you in that case, right? High inflation helps you the value of your homes. High inflation does help the value of your home. And I wouldn't necessarily say you should go out and buy a lot of real estate, especially on the cash side. But if you have access to cash, which to me is always the key more so than having the cash, the access to cash, it could be a very lucrative opportunity. Look, no matter what type of market cycle we're in in real estate, there are always going to be opportunities to make money and to come out a huge winner at some point. And of course, depends on how you're looking at your real estate. Are you looking at it on just the residential side? Are you looking at it on the commercial real estate investment side? And of course, for the purpose of this conversation, we're speaking more on the residential side, but there is a lot of opportunity on the commercial real estate side as well to make money in a high inflationary period. So, you know, tell me about on your channel, what are you getting feedback wise? What do people want to know about your, you're obviously reaching that younger audience, right? That millennial audience, that first time home buyer, maybe, maybe if they're lucky, they actually invest in a property that they're getting rental income on, but it's usually buy my own home first, then try to make some money off of someone else's home. What are the conversations and the kinds of questions you're getting from that audience? I love that you asked that question. It's a great question, Eric. And I will say the main thing they're asking is what city should I buy a home in because a lot of them, to your point, they may own their own home if they're able to do that. So they're looking at this next real estate purchase to be some type of investment property. So they're saying, Corey, what cities can I make the best return right on my real estate investment? Which Eric, I'm just gonna throw it out there. Do you know what cities this year are actually slated to be the hottest housing markets in the country? I'm just throwing it out there. What, I mean, I don't know. I, I'm going to guess yeah. so for 24. I'm going to guess like, let me think. So we we had the big, you know, Southern move, right? All your Vegas, right. Phoenix, Texas, like like you're part of the Texas migration, the Carolinas, um, the whole Montana, Idaho thing. So I, I don't, if I had to guess and Florida's overheated, I, I got to assume it's something Southern, but, but I don't know, right? Maybe it's, a, maybe it's Alabama or Mississippi or something that's just adjacent to the ones that have been hot already. Okay. Eric, you're a little bit off, but not completely. So the okay. migration is still happening. A part of it is slightly happening in reverse though. The top three housing markets for 2024, that's according to Zillow, Buffalo, New York. So we're talking way up safe central New York. In the middle of the cold tundra, as I like to call it, that place gets more snow than any part of the country. However, Buffalo, number one on the list, followed by other cities like Cincinnati and Columbus. So we're talking about going out to the Midwest. So the migration happening, just happening in a different way. And the reason that Buffalo is on track to be the hottest housing market for this year is the fact that it has the highest number of new jobs in the city per home 
permitted, which is actually an expected measure of demand. So it's very, very fascinating because at this point, you can't just move to a city and hope you're going to get a house, right? With the migrations happening all across the country because you're going to be priced out of the market. So now a lot of people are going to, what are the areas where I can get a good job in relation to the housing affordability? And those are the top three cities, Buffalo, Cincinnati, and Columbus. You, that, that's funny. You were saying those um, cities while I was my, drinking my water and I almost spit it out because I, I was just so shocked to, to hear <laughs> that. But I don't, I'm going to have to dig into those numbers because, but, but it's hard to believe that, right? I, I get the reverse idea. Then I thought, okay, maybe they're coming back to New York or coming back to California. Yeah. But, but to go to a, that, I think about those football teams, right? Your Buffaloes, your Cincinnati's, like the freezing cold winters that we've seen here in the, the last few weeks or the playoffs, those, those snow games in Buffalo. Um, I struggle to believe that, but I, I appreciate that data point you mentioned, right? The number of, job openings per household, mm -hmm. right? Like this idea that, that that's where the opportunity is. And it makes me think about a research paper. Maybe it was like an economist or an expert on happiness. One of these kind of guys that said the same thing. People keep asking me, where should I move, right? Yeah. Or people want to find a city that they think will make them happy. And the guy said, you got to find a job that's going to make you happy. And it won't matter what city you live in. Right. If you can find the right job, you can you can be happy in Los Angeles, New York or or the middle of nowhere. But if you've got a really crappy job or no job, I don't care what city you're in, you're going to be miserable. Right. And I mean, you know, as well as I do from living on the East Coast, um, you know, New York City, the greater New York City tri-state area, you got to make a lot of money to be able to afford a home in these areas. Right. It's expensive. So making a hundred thousand dollars in a New York City, I mean, that's like pennies on the dollar to some extent. Like you're barely skating by as opposed to going to a Buffalo, New York, and maybe you're making $100,000. You got a good job, um, you know, at some of the companies that are headquartered in the broader central New York, eastern New York area, like Carrier, huge air conditioning company, things of that nature where you can make really good money and the price of the home is not going to, you know, be such a shock to your financial budget into your system. And there's a lot of, you know, migrations that always take place across the country. And a lot of it stems with what you just said. It stems with where the jobs are, where they're coming from, and you know, where people think they're going to have the best quality of life. So, yeah, so to dig in more on, so these are the conversations that, that people are asking you, like, where should I move to, right? So when you see a data point like, like a Buffalo or Cincinnati, are you saying to them, hey, well, this is what the data says, you should go there? And they, and they say, sure, I'm going to do that. Or they're like, uh, I wasn't looking for that answer from you. <laughs> Um, uh, they're definitely more so like, I wasn't looking for that answer. However, I'm going to shout out Buffalo because my mother is from Buffalo, New York. I spent my summers as a kid hanging out with my grandmother in Buffalo, New York, but I only went in the summer, so I didn't have to experience the winter, but yeah, they're not necessarily excited. However, you have to remember 10, 20 years ago, people weren't necessarily clamoring to move to Austin, Texas. Right. They weren't clamoring to move to these other areas either. Tesla wasn't, Elon Musk wasn't trying to move his company, right, to Austin. Like, this wasn't a thing. So with time and perspective, things can always shift. That's a good point. That's a good point. Um, what are the other other questions you're getting from people? Do you get, do you get advice or questions asking for advice about owning properties to rent out, like becoming a real estate investor? Or is it much more about just, I need to buy 
one home somewhere and get my life as an adult started? I think a lot of people, they go back and forth, right? Some of them, especially in the millennial category here, they're saying, hey, you know, I want to live in a major metropolitan city and I want to live in the city, not on the outskirts. And I can't afford some house or some nice condo. I'd rather pay $4,000 a month in rent and live in some, um, you know, full service high rise building on Miami beach or something like that. And then I'll go invest in a real estate property in the adjacent Miami Dade County areas. Um, and maybe try to flip a house or something like that. And to that, I say it's all about what your long-term financial goals are. Now, of course, I am not a financial advisor by any stretch of the imagination. However, if your ultimate goal is to be able to make a return on your investment by um, buying property, then the sooner you get into that, the better off you're going to be. Because you pay $4,000 a month in rent as some apartment, you know, putting you over $50,000 a year just in rent alone, that's money you're never going to get back. So why not take that money and put it in some type of property somewhere where you could at least eventually borrow against that money if you need while still keeping that property, sell it and make a nice um, return on that investment and turn around and put that into more property. The rental game is set up to keep you in a cycle of debt and in a cycle of constantly feeling like you have to owe someone money, which I love that you referenced that earlier, especially around student loans. You think it's not just mortgages, car payments, it's all of it. People are set up with a mindset that they're always going to have to be paying some type of bill to someone. And that's not necessarily the case. It is possible through the right investment and real estate could be one of those great vehicles that you can get yourself out of that. That's that's kind of what I was trying to get at earlier. So I'm glad you said it better than me. Is yeah. is I'm afraid people are getting stuck in the rental cycle because the homes are so unaffordable, right? Where it's the person who says, "I want to be able to buy a home, and I've got my college degree, and I studied really hard, and I'm very good and academically driven, and I've got a good office job, but the office job pays like a hundred thousand dollars, right? It's like which is a lot of money still in America, but but in a big city that gets you nowhere, right? Like when you mentioned that three eighty number. You know, I'm looking at like the towns, like the town I'm in right now, right? You can't, you couldn't buy the worst house for 380. Like there's nothing available for 380 in this town, wow. right? So I think if you spend maybe 450 or 500, you can get land with like a dilapidated house that's been uh, condemned, right? So it's like, this is what you get for 450 or 500. And so now imagine someone's making hundred grand, but I'm still paying rent. So I'm not able to save. Right. And I can't get the down payment and the cost of the home is so high unless I take on a massive mortgage, if I can even get that mortgage. So that's my fear is that there's 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 no way out unless at some point prices come down. There can be some ways out. Prices are never going to come down to a point where I think people say, oh, I'm finally comfortable just purely based on the price of the house to jump into the market. For something like that, they're going to have to go really perhaps far outside of their so-called comfort zone areas, which I don't highly recommend for people because at the end of the day, you want your home to be your place of solitude and peace. And are you really going to be that peaceful if you're not living in the general vicinity of um, things that you want to be around and places that you want to go? Probably not. However, first-time home buyers 
have a unique position, right? We're not talking about people that are, you know, on their second, third, fourth, fifth house. Those first time home buyers typically tend to be younger people. And I'm going to use the word younger loosely because right now millennials are living at home a lot longer than they used to. Not even to mention Gen Z. We have to talk about them in a whole other real estate conversation. But first time the home buyers, right? They are really looking to do a down payment of around 8% on their home, which is far different than as I referenced the repeat buyers that are looking to put down around 19, 20%, as I stated earlier. So the 8% down, well, that's pretty much a significant amount down. It's not going to be enough to thwart off the all cash buyer. So the way to really set yourself apart, right, is to get in with someone who's saying, hey, what are the flexibilities that I can get with this new first-time home buyer that would make me want to not be interested in an all-cash deal? And of course, that's going to be very difficult. As I said, I accepted an all-cash deal last year because it was going to be a much quicker close. However, if you are a first-time home buyer and you're going to be able to show up right to the table already pre-approved, which means that you can typically close within 14 days, and you can be a bit more flexible in the current homeowner in terms of their timeline of moving out. They won't necessarily have to move out in the two weeks. They can, you know, rent some weeks or a month back from you until they figure out where they're going to go next. That can spice up, right, the opportunity for you to get into a home for the first time. And I'm going to put it out there. There are other ways of bringing cash to the table outside of the fact that you're trying to put away a few hundred, a few thousand dollars every month to save for a home. If you have a 401k, you can borrow against your 401k, folks, to buy your first home. And this is money that you actually don't have to pay back with interest. You do pay the money back, but it's not an interest um, loan from your 401k. That can also help you have a bit more cash to show up at the table with. It is a competitive, competitive space to get into. And the main reason for that is because there's money to be made. The housing market is on fire. Prices, as you mentioned, they're super duper high. So people always want in on an opportunity to make money. It doesn't mean, though, that the barriers to entry are absolutely unattainable for the everyday person. Those are some good points. I, I wonder about the 401k loan. So let's say you're invested in the markets, right? In the 401k, will they sell that out to give you the money? Or does that investment stay in there while they've lent you the money? Um, I wouldn't say they sell it out. Now, granted, I don't can't speak for all 401k plans and how they work. You'd have to check with your individual employer every month. But um, I want to say they do the loans. So, like, is, I had forgotten about. It. I know they do the loans from the 401k, but and, and yeah, maybe we don't know the answer. But it was just something I was thinking about. Like, oh, as you were saying it, can you stay invested? Can your investments keep going up while they've given you the money, right? Or is it no, no, no? It, I got to sort that one out. I don't know. Investments can't keep going up because you can't take all of the money. Right. You take some portion of the money invested, right? You can take a portion, but you can take a fair, fairly large portion because technically it is your money, everyone. Um, I don't know what the parameters are specifically. Like I said, I do think it varies per your 401k plan provider and how all of that works. But it is something that people need to look into and they need to really think about leveraging because you can get into a home, let's say, I'm just gonna use nice small round numbers here. If you decide to borrow 10,000 to help put towards your down payment for a home, it is very plausible that within the first year to two years, you would have created that $10,000 in equity that you can take out of the house and put back in your 401k. Right, right. Yeah, I'm looking it up here. looks like you can do up to 
up to 50,000 or 50%, whatever's less, at least from what Investopedia says. So that's the quick, uh, you know, the, the quick uh, answer there. So, you know, most of it still stays, still stays invested there. Um, right. Tell me about the move to Texas. Why did you go there? How come you didn't go to Buffalo? Well, I will say the Buffalo thing just came out for this year, for 2024. <laughs> also, I went to Syracuse for grad school, so I know all too well about the tundra and the snow and that lake effect snow, and it is awful. Oh, my goodness. It is absolutely awful. Plus, I grew up in Texas. I'm from Houston, born and raised. I had just been in New York City, though, for 15 years and London before that. And I decided it was time to come home, be a little closer to my family, and just get off the New York City subway. Yeah. Well, I get it. And then, and then tell me more about you know, what is Culture Banks? What are you working on? What are you focused on? Who's the audience you're serving there? Yeah, Culture Banks. Wow. This is a wonderful news platform where we do all things stock market-driven business news for hip-hop culture by leveraging music. And everything is told through a culturally attuned lens. I always tell people, Eric, you should imagine if Spotify had a baby with rap caviar playlists and CNBC or Financial Times, that is Culture Banks in a nutshell. We use music to make sure our audience has a more authentic connection with high-level stock market-driven business news. And I encourage everyone to sign up for our newsletter. It is free, and it is the only place you're going to find the most culturally attuned business news that meets your everyday needs. That's, that's, that's so interesting. So what do you find is the disconnect? Because obviously you worked in the New York City financial media <laughs> ecosystem at all, at all the big names. Yeah. And, and now you're reaching people in a different way through a different approach, right? Connecting it with the music and hip hop and, and bringing a little bit more, you know, like a hip attitude to it, as opposed to guys like me wearing suits all the time, right? So what do you find is the disconnect between kind of, let's say your old audience that you were serving to the new audience that you're working with now in terms of, would you say they're fundamentally, they're all reaching for the same goals, the same worries, the same concerns, the same hopes and dreams, or do they seem like they're living in two totally different worlds? The fundamental void in the market is just that. It's the two different worlds. However, we all know there is only one world and we're all living in it, but we're all trying to find ourselves being represented. And before I got into media, in New York City, I originally moved to New York City as an investment banker with Goldman Sachs. That was right after my stint at UBS in London. And it's during this time as an investment banker before moving on to the big business news network that I realized there was such a lack of representation across the board and someone needed to be there to fill that void. And my last stint down on the floor of the New York Stock Exchange, I was like, oh my goodness, it's all these older men here, like not even one woman, this all these older men down here on the floor of the exchange. And this is why there's such a big disconnect in the information that's going out in the people behind the dissemination, the creation of the news content. And if someone like me who was already an investment banker, already a credential journalist, could not figure out a way to fill this void in the market, I didn't know who else was going to do it. And I'm happy to say that for the past six years, we have been happily filling that void. That's, that's, yeah, it's great to hear that. And then, you know, what else in that, in that home buying world, like you mentioned, what cities, like what are questions that you're getting that maybe even surprise you? You're like, oh, wow, I'm surprised that the audience is commenting or bringing me this kind of question over and over again. I'm surprised at the amount of people, Eric, who consistently ask me, should I rent versus staying home with my parents? 
which I think is a lot of a pride situation is what I'm going to throw out. I'm going to throw out, I think it's a pride thing more than like a pure logic, like thinking it through. Like is my money, like should I spend money for the pride of living on my own versus saving money to not have the pride of living on my own? Yes, exactly. Even though you can go to your friend's place or you still hang out with people. I mean, this is like college. You're not having house parties anymore. Like you're well past that. Like the most you might do at a friend's house at this point is like a game night or something. But (laughs) It's all over. The fun's over. Yeah, there's no more parties. Yeah. Yeah, I'm just saying it's not like that type of environment. So I'm like, wait, so you want to pay 1500 let's say, in a, in a more affordable-ish city, $1,500, $2,000 a month in rent just so you can tell people when you're already out because you're not even at their place. So when you meet them for happy hour that you have an apartment, I'm like, well, huh, that's an interesting dynamic there. I'm like, that doesn't make any sense. Unless your parents are forcing you out the door if they're supporting you saving money so that when you do leave, you're able to actually be invested in something, then stay. It's not like, who cares? Like pride is like, let that fall by the wayside. Interesting. That That's a great that's point. I never thought about that because it's sort of like the one step before the one that's I'm renting. When do I get to buy my own house? They're still trying to like get to the renting stage. And maybe there's a world where it's, you just skip that step save all that rent money, keep it in your pocket, live at home, and then go buy a house. And you never wasted any money on rent. And you have as much money as possible. Get, to get, get the rent. Look, if you really want to have a rager, that's what Airbnb is for. Like, go rent <laughs> an Airbnb for a weekend, invite all your friends over. Like, it's fine. By the time you move out, like, there's no great joy in renting and trying to figure out how to save money. I can tell you, I did it in New York for a long time. If I've had family in the city that I could have stayed with as opposed to paying rent in Brooklyn and in Harlem all those years, I would have done that. But I didn't have that. I had to pay rent. I had to save my money. And it was hard. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's, it's funny. So you mentioned you mentioned Goldman Sachs in London. And, and I've got a little poll question here from, from a Goldman Sachs Global Strategy Conference in London from January, right? Really fresh. When do you expect the first rate cut, right? When is the Fed going to cut rates for the first time? I don't know if you've seen this or or not. And, you know, what, what would your guess be in terms of what you think the Fed's going to do, but what you think the other people thought the Fed was going to do? What do you think the survey will say? Well, look, Goldman, they do a great job at forecasting things, but the Fed is always a tricky run, especially Uncle Jerome, as I call him, Jerome Powell, everyone. Uncle JP, right, you know, he'll get on the mic after every meeting and like, oh, you know, we're hawkish or we're dovish or we're somewhere in between. I just think at this point, I think that Goldman definitely expects rates to go down this year by a bare minimum of 25, if not 50 basis point at some point throughout 2024. I think Q1, it's possible it could be too aggressive. I'm going to go with Q. I'm going to go with Q3 because I just don't know. I, I haven't seen the earnings come in from the Q4 earnings come in yet. I don't think those are going to start for a, a few weeks at this point. Um, so I'm going to go Q3. So it's funny. I would have guessed also Q3. I would have felt like they have to commit to at least the first six months of this year. It's like we, we kept rate right. steady because otherwise, what was the point of raising it if you're going to immediately cut it? 
you could have just skipped that last raise and cut cycle and kept it more steady. I would have guessed Q3, the survey respondents, a full 50% of them think Q2 would be the first cut. And so 50% Q2, 33% Q3, you got about 9% in Q1 right now. That feels very aggressive. Like they're going to cut now in the next couple of weeks. 9% of people thought thought that. 9% Q1, 50% Q2, 33% Q3, where you and I were, 7% Q4, seems reasonable. And then 2% of people thought nothing this year, that it would be 2025 or later. Wow. Let us all hope it's not 2025. Let's start seeing some. I mean, at this point, the federal funds rate is hovering around, I think it's 3.125%, which is still above their target funds rate around two and a quarter percent, but it's not that much higher. I mean, Lord knows it was much higher a couple of years ago. So they're not far from it. I guess we're back to that soft landing and whether or not that whole situation is going to happen. I think Q1, it just sounds too aggressive to me. Like, I feel like we're just not far enough out of last year to make that commitment. Right. And you mean you said federal funds rate, but I assume you mean the inflation rate, right? When the inflation at three for the target of two. Yes. Sorry. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. If Fed funds at five and a half, right? Five and a quarter, five and a half. Yeah. So just there's too many rates. I just want to make sure we're all on the same page. But we know they what are. you're talking it's about. It's also different than the interest rate. Yeah. Prime rate, SOFR. There was LIBOR, right? So many. And I think that's part of the problem, right? Especially for that younger home buyer, it's confusing to them, right? They see the Fed move. They see interest rates at the banks. Like, right, why is the Fed at 5%? My bank's giving me 0.02%. And I'm not getting anything in my checking account, right? Or why why is the Fed this, but mortgages are 789, right? So I think there's a lot of confusion for, for that audience that's trying to sort out what to do. But so, Corey, to tell us everywhere where we can find you, right? I know it's Culture Banks with an X at the end. Where are all the platforms we can see you? Yes, Culture Banks with an X on all the socials, um, as they, as the young kids say. Also, you can follow me directly. I'm Corey.Hale, very basic, on Instagram. Corey Hale on X, things of that nature. So, yeah, you can find me in all the places where people are found on the internet streets these days. Awesome. Awesome. Corey, thank you so much. Appreciate appreciate the insights. It's really fascinating to hear kind of your audience and what they're what they're asking you about, what they're worried about, their mindset, right? It's a good reminder on these different ecosystems across the country that we're all we're all living here, right? But we all have different experiences and, and approaches. So thank you so much for joining me here on the show today. If you like this episode, please follow it, you know, share it, like it, subscribe, tell all your friends, comment, engage. All of these things will help this episode get the content out there to as many people as possible. So again, you know, Corey Hale was my guest today from Culture Banks. Check out her platforms, her sites, and of course, wealthyun.com. We've got a lot of information there, more about this episode, all the other episodes. And if you're trying to figure out your family's finances and investments, We've got people that we work with, that we vet, that we endorse, that they can connect with you. You can connect with them. You can fill out the short form there. And it's no obligation, no commitment, no cost. Have a conversation. See if they're a fit for you. If they're not, no worries, right? It's just a public service that we provide for free, trying to help as many people as possible on that one. And then, of course, Anthony Scaramucci's got his weekly show, Fridays, 11 a.m. Eastern time. It's live. You can watch it and give questions directly. Call in, comment right in as he's live. Or you can go to wealthion.com and submit your questions and he'll 
answer them later during the show. So thanks again for watching and listening and joining me with Corey Hale today. I'm Eric Chemi. We'll see you next time.